0: Everybody, we're back with The Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. I'm Willie.
1: I am Jakob. Good to see you, Willie. And this is a podcast where we discuss each and every episode from the hit HBO show The Wire. I think we nailed that. Yeah, because we know that our margin of
0: error is very uh, slim. Ooh, slim like Charles great uh (laughs) start we're getting off to right away uh anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support in case you want to throw us five bucks a month uh it's really not that big of a deal i don't know why more people aren't doing it uh i don't want to shame any of the listeners out there for not donating to us but uh you know what else are you gonna do with the money so cough up no i'm just kidding uh, we're very grateful to all the people who have donated so far, and if you're thinking about it, I think it'd be a great little, uh, you know, uh, item on your, on your bank statement. Anyway, moving on. Jacob already kind of like previewed this, but today we're going to be talking about season four, episode six, Margin of Error. It's another fun episode to discuss and just getting
1: started everyone is going to church
0: yeah kind of like showing how big of a deal it is for anybody who's considering a career in politics to uh show up at their local you know did not what local service <laughs> <laughs> We're i mean aside
1: from being car guys gun guys <laughs> Uh, oh, no. all, yeah, we're definitely church
0: guys. No, we're frauds. This is the fraud pod. Fake trout. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to get that deep lake clout, but we're becoming deep fake trouts. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, this is a kind of like a little montage, uh, cutting between the three main candidates is, well, democratic candidates visits. Democratic mayoral candidates' visits to Sunday church service. And Tommy is making an appearance at the world-famous Bethlehem Church uh, with the uh, sermon being delivered by, yes, we've previewed, uh, you know, getting excited about this before on the podcast this is the real Reverend Frank Reed.
1: And you said you have like a conspiracy theory or something about okay. uh, the sermon. And well, <laughs> come on, preachers like you feel it.
0: This is not to be taken seriously at all. This is merely just like kind of like a stupid little uh, side thought that made me kind of chuckle to myself. And I hope everybody can gather with me and, uh, you know, lightly chuckle along with this as well. But... We see. Oh, we see. <laughs> Tommy Carcetti and his family, the only white people in the congregation, and uh, Daniel Attius and William F. Zorzi mentioned in the commentary for this episode. As I mentioned before, I have to watch every episode with the commentary that offers the commentary, or else I'll die a horrible, painful death. Um, they had mentioned that it was a line in the script that uh, Tommy and his family are intended to look rather foolish or offbeat and, uh, you know, not really infused with that same sense of the Holy Spirit that a lot of the other people in the church are infused with. Um, And I just thought to myself, you know, Frank Reed delivers a pretty powerful sermon that has some Meta messaging going on where he's kind of like directing uh, his uh, little fable about Moses and his father-in-law directly towards Tommy Carcetti in hopes that, you know, he'll take this as like kind of like um, a lesson that he can, uh, you know, implement some of his own good values and like lessons to... Actually, reach out and help the people of Baltimore, and I was thinking to myself, like did Frank Reed have another sermon in mind before he started this, and then he just saw like how like out of place and awful Tommy and his family looked with his like uh young daughters doing like a bizarre like dance while like holding onto yeah. the bench and like looking like they were like headbanging or something like <laughs> did frank reed like see that site and he's like okay no i need to speak to this man directly because he obviously doesn't get it but you know uh probably not any sort of uh you know viability or accuracy to that conspiracy theory it was just like some little random thought bubble that popped into my head and this is the venue for getting all these embarrassing thoughts out there. So let's, thanks for sharing. Let's please move on.
1: <laughs> let's also remember that Frank Reed almost got canceled, right? For endorsing O'Malley. So maybe he mm. was having a little flashback too, where he's like, Oh yeah, oh, I yeah. can just be myself here. Yeah, and like I'm acting, but right. I'm supporting or maybe supporting this, this white candidate. And I remember like the trauma or non- drama because i'm
0: frank reed so people can't cancel me right i, I am myself circa 1999 in the midst of a contentious <laughs> mayoral election but it's not really because this is 2006 and i'm just another cog in the wheel of the simulation yeah that's exactly what he must have been thinking at that time we are the definitive source on frank reed's uh, thought process
1: yeah and he gets to hang out with his buddy for a moment uh little melvin who mm-hmm. They had a real relationship after little Melvin got out of jail and became more religious, which we've talked about. So a whole lot of stuff going on, but I'm glad we caught him, you know, in his true form. Yeah. And I hope he had some words with the other Frank Reed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone's making their push. The democratic primary is approaching. So Carquetti's out and, uh, There's some information that's come out, or non-information, maybe fake news in the form of a flyer.
0: Definitely some misinformation. And I know, (laughs) I see you getting worked up on all this. Uh, uh, It's alleged that Royce and his campaign team distributed a flyer with Karketty pictured next to a... Slumlord! (laughs)
1: Which everyone, you know... Who knows me? Well, I don't really see as many people who know me these days, you know?
0: <laughs> this is getting
1: dark. What's going on? <laughs> no. everyone, everyone who knows me. And I'm like, who do I know anymore, Willie? It's been so long. I've been, like, kind of isolated and just wire world and the right. simulation and mm-hmm. just people are telling us, like, or I'm sure, you know, you've talked to friends, I like, separately, you know. Behind my back, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? definitely. No, but uh, people are like, you guys just got to be done with the wire after this. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I'm going to find where that church is, and it yeah. was near Bodie's Corner, but that's not real, and that's whatever. But um, what the hell was I talking about? Oh, yeah, I, I, I say slumlord too much, and it's it's like an all-encompassing insult Yeah, that I utilize. But I, I just sound hilarious, because would definitely defend a slum lord in his private practice right yeah it doesn't seem like, <laughs> like i mean it's not real they prove right but you know it's plausible yeah i it's mean it's pretty greasy
0: like in the episodes kind of like running up to the election i feel like there's some misdirection on part of like the writers and directors that are trying to make us see like karketty in a more sympathetic light than he actually deserves but we shouldn't forget this was like the person who like compared Baltimore to Fallujah or some shit. And, you know, has had at least a couple extramarital affairs and, uh, pulled some, you know, Machiavellian moves and getting his power grabs and, uh, more or less, uh, contributed to the fall of hamsterdam which was like an interesting you know we talked all about how that could have been a viable experiment but yes like you are the person who has it out for the slumlords and you could use that phrase at the drop of a hat like referencing any types of people the construction workers who work at odd hours near your house the no
1: no no, not i don't hate them i hate their bosses for making them work like 14 hour days and the heat and like, you know, just work, 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 work. Like they don't get really, it seems like weekends or two days off in a row. Yeah. So don't try to paint me as like anti-labor here. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they should, they could use, you know, Frank's, well, that would get a little messy with Frank, but you know, union, I don't know if they're unionized. I don't know. That's that's a whole different subject, but I'll go take the mic down and ask them like, uh do you know who the future slum lord of this building will be?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm conducting these interviews for my wire podcast. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with the simulation?
1: Yeah, <laughs> anyway. but I mean, Baltimore is pretty famous for slum lords. Yes. You know, people like to just trash and trash on the city and all, oh, you know, look at it. Look how awful it is and all the boarded up houses and you know, it is in disrepair, but let's not forget that for decades there have been you know slumlords active and you know people like uh james stein and he worked with i guess a local drug kingpin to show him the ropes in the 90s named george dangerfield i think and then even a guy who was like a huge investor morris goldsecker who died in 73 was one of the worst uh known slumlords in the african-american community there and then, you know, someone who's like one of the chief uh, critics of Baltimore's own uh, son-in-law, right?
0: Uh, Jared Fishnick. <laughs> yeah. <Christian. laughs> yeah, I remember. But I saw that Dirty Money episode.
1: <laughs> a lot of county stuff going on there, though. Yeah. So I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll let friend of the show, Cl- Kim Classic, settle him out once and, you know, settle it with him. Straighten yeah. him out once and for all. That's the phrase I'm looking for. <laughs> no, not. not a friend of the show. Yeah, Martin Luther King would have been a conservative, Willie. Really. Okay, <laughs> Kim Classic said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, but here's another thing that's kind of funny. O'Malley got criticized a lot for being a tough on crime candidate when he was a defense attorney. So people were trying to spin it on him, like, "How can you be, uh, you know, so tough on crime yet you, you know, you defend these criminals?" Which I don't know. Personally, I think it's kind of like a straw man in some ways.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> he's like, what do
1: you mean? I mean, that was my job, like, to defend. I was a defense attorney. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see, you know, maybe there's a little parallel. I never found anything about O'Malley and slumlords, but maybe we will have to now. I'm yeah. sure it's out there.
0: Yeah, that's going to be... Let's
1: break the story, man.
0: Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first.
1: Wow, and literally, like, maybe 10 days to... A week we'll publish this episode and it's gonna be mind blowing.
0: Let's move on to talking about um when Tommy runs into an old friend of his dad's. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, good times. Who so who is that guy? Is he some is he making a cameo? Like, I, David, could David Simon uh, reach that deep into the city where he could get like, "Hey, I remember old racist dude. Can you just uh, <laughs> do a little, just, just, you know, less is more? Just be yourself, more <laughs> or less."
0: Yeah, the 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 guy playing this, uh, you know, old racist voter, pretty pretty perfect. Jack Seely, we got to give it up to him. It's his only. Uh, acting credit on imdb <laughs> so maybe so, there's some credence to that uh theory you have about them just kind of like uh misdirecting this guy to a casting call <laughs> like, so what do
1: you th- i mean what are your thoughts i mean you know carcetti's italian this old racist guy is your part italian you know like
0: <laughs> i mean i de- <laughs> i <I'm> just <laughs> i definitely feel like he did like there was like a little standing up for his principles when like the guy was like, you know, everybody expects politicians to steal he's like, actually I don't and then uh
1: Mr. Steal Your girl.
0: <laughs> this bigoted voter as he's credited on IMDB mentions some horrible stuff about like quote unquote them having their chance and drops a racial slur. But it's yeah. like, it's like a critical moment that Tommy has a chance to like stand up and condemn <laughs> that language. And he kind of just like stands there yeah. frozen and like, having to uh, apologize to Norm.
1: <laughs> Norm doesn't even care. He's like, all right, man, a vote's a vote. I mean, good, he. Good job, more. I mean, he cares. But.
0: Yeah. Do you think that like May, that little interaction that he had where he saw like Tommy just kind of stand there pretty flat footed, maybe like uh maybe i won't vote for you now yeah. like i've kept my decision pretty close to the chest but now by the way i wanted to ask you if you knew any like real life historical examples where this kind of like vicious attack on rival campaigns ever took place where they like purposefully photoshopped <laughs> like another candidate into like a weird position
1: uh, i mean i know it got pretty Contentious with like Bell and O'Malley, and people were complaining about like, oh, Lawrence Bell had like a mob or like a protest group, and they like got too unruly and were like, da da da. Um, but no, I don't know. I mean, there, I think that the way Baltimore politics has evolved to now, this is like the uh, oh like man this is the dirty politics uh, a photoshop because in the past it was just like like mass like rioting and beating you know, <laughs> like murder and violence uh, you know I think it's maybe evolved you know even <laughs> if it's still pretty greasy
0: <laughs> so in the middle of like all this debacle uh, word gets into Carcetti's campaign that Clay Davis wants a sit down meeting with them and uh, yeah goes exactly how you'd expect it with clay davis just kind of like i mean it's uh assumed that he probably after he asked for twenty thousand dollars (laughs) from car campaign to like sit it all out he uh probably went to the royce campaign and asked for thirty thousand dollars or that's the line of information but like i don't know like it's strategically advantageous for Carcetti in this moment of panic at least the way the campaign paints it for him to like actually get Clay Davis as an ally but it's just setting up the stage for for more corruption down the line that they even like choose to get into bed with a guy like this who's just mm. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's poisoning the well already with like Tommy getting these ideas of like, Oh, what are these, what are the corners I'm going to have to cut in order for me to get the governorship? Like, you know, sitting down with clay that one time made me realize, Oh, maybe I don't need to give money to the schools at some point. I don't know. Like, it just seems like there's little tiny clues And things along the way that point to Tommy not being as great of a guy as apparently so many people still think he is, despite watching the show. Like, I don't know. Mostly just upset at this Instagram poll. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're still salty about the uh... (laughs) Where they asked if people would vote for Tommy Carcetti, and 69% of people said yes. I wasn't, like, I don't know if they watched the whole show and realize in retrospect that Tony Gray is the best canon. Anyway, I'm, I'm splitting here. Do you think they sleep
1: well at night with that 69% approval? (laughs) Um, what does Zorzi have to say about like, uh, character development and where he's headed in this episode? I don't, I
0: don't, I can't remember like any, I mean, they did say that they were trying to like, like a total misdirection in this episode with making the audience think that this flyer distribution would be uh detrimental to his campaign and that he would lose but like I kind of like am under the impression that a lot of like even the director in this commentary was like talking about like how it's a joyous moment when they find out that Carcetti wins the primary and it's like I don't Like, looking back on it now and knowing everything I know about how the show turns out, it's hard for me to, like, feel, like, happy or, like, optimistic about what this guy can do, knowing that he's just gonna capitulate to, like, certain special interests once he gets into office. Like, I don't... I just see this, like, unfolding in a very, like, matter-of-fact way where it's, like, of course, like, he's probably better than the alternative, but... Who's to say he just doesn't become, like, as bad or even worse than Royce, like, years down the line? I don't know. The way that they show them and how they, like, exit the, the, the voting booth, um, with, like, Tony Gray, like, trying to make the best out of, like, a pretty underwhelming press situation. He still, like, smiles for the camera. Mayor Royce, like, looks like, like, the, um... Pitch perfect example of like a typical like sleazy candidate with like pretending not to notice that the cameras are there, but mm. then like smiling and giving the thumbs up, and Carcetti just gives like a like sly little smirk, and then he's just like off to the races. Like, okay, where do we go to next? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, good
1: stuff. Well, he's gonna win, and he does
0: but he can't do anything about the way the harbor smells. <laughs> oh, that's that harbor, man. At least, yeah, at
1: least you can rest uh, easy knowing that I'll have to contend with the ever-smelly harbor, which has been a menace to Baltimore for, you know, centuries. But yeah. humans were actually the real reason, of course, for it. Because um, basically, you know, sewage... <laughs> uh but yeah apparently it was like the one of the like i mean of course there are i'm sure not i'm sure there. i'm sure of terrible things you know taking place in baltimore of course with inequality and obviously in the 1800s there was still slavery uh, and then the 1850s the hot button issue though was what are we going to do about the smelly harbor so mm. Nothing new here for old Carcetti. There was even a doctor in 1858, apparently, who, uh, in their, like, conference, you know, his idea was to just take all the dirt from Federal Hill and fill in the Inner Harbor. Oh, my gosh. Um, so uh, they don't have to deal with the, uh, the issue on hand because apparently Baltimore was the last or one of the last major U.S. cities to actually get a functioning sewage system. So they could have learned some stuff maybe from... Uh, the sewer socialists over in Milwaukee. I don't know. I just, you know, the Milwaukee bucks, I don't want to like, uh, provide too much of a timestamp. Cause I know here at the gods will not save you. We're really just flowing around the simulation, but you know, let's just say recently the Milwaukee bucks won the NBA championship. So Jacobin made a post like another victory for sewer socialism, because I guess, you know, the socialists of Milwaukee used to brag about their, you know, premier sewage system
0: this is all news (laughs) to (laughs) me so
1: baltimore man where were they they were just like oh we'll just we'll expand the uh, real estate here in this part of uh you know south baltimore and we'll just expand you know over the harbor to federal hill but there was gonna be no federal hill because all the dirt will be gone so then what would uh you know, certain real realtors in Baltimore have to say about that, and you know the sabotkas would be losing their mind even more because Aunt <laughs> Teensy's house would never have existed.
0: Oh my goodness! Uh, but apparently, it's just like you know, in summer, it's going to smell. I don't. Yeah. So Carcetti wins. He's like a little bit mad at Clay Davis, but at the end of the day, he's like, "Ah, oh, you rascal! You're you're just who I want. You're just where I need you to be." Like if we ever need some. Sleazy player, I got you in my back pocket because I did, you know, at least satiate you a little bit with the twenty thousand. But yeah. uh yeah, Carchetti doesn't have sex with Terry D'Agostino and decides he's gonna act more mayoral. Yeah, hey, what about that, man?
1: Like give the man some credit or no, you know?
0: No. I mean, I guess there's like two like schools of thought in this where it's like <laughs> I'm just mess up. There's like two schools of thought where it's like, oh, no, Carcetti's like trying to be a good guy now because the weight of the responsibility. But then there's also like the more cynical uh, line of thinking where it's like, oh, he's just so he's obsessed with his image and he doesn't want to have this stain his uh, legacy, especially when he's already got like a couple stories that people on the campaign team know about with him almost falling off of the campaign trail for a blonde stuff like that maybe he's just like a course correct
1: yeah he saw him down in highland town just like with that one blonde lady voter yeah or am i being toxic
0: no he was checking out her ass right she walked away yeah he is definitely like it, it happens like so quick that people might miss it because it's like okay like the way i saw it is like okay like oh man This girl looks nice. Oh, I gotta get back into campaign mode. Um, so should should we
1: (laughs) should we talk about the MCU, Willie?
0: Let's get into it. Oh, this is
1: controversial stuff. No signs of Marlo at the shop, Willie.
0: Yeah. Uh. Ah. Well, no signs of him at the shop, to much to Herc uh, and Sidner's dismay, until yeah, <laughs> you know, as he said in the last episode, uh, when Marla discovers that they have a camera in the concrete park, they're making movies. So he takes that idea of them making movies and decides to make himself the star of the show. And boy, does he put on an act! <laughs>
1: I know for uh, the
0: lip reader and the cops who he knows are surveilling him. Um, he basically like sets up a whole red herring for the cops where he's saying like, Oh, I'm going to pick up a quote unquote skinny girl at the train station and I'll do it myself. I don't want anything to go wrong. He says this while looking like where he know like directly into the camera so that the lip reader can, you know, easily translate what he's saying. Um, But, of course, Sidner, um, recognizes that there's something off about this situation and Marlo himself wouldn't get too close to a quote-unquote skinny girl, which Herc just automatically assumes is code for cocaine. (laughs) Um, and, uh, we even see, like, Chris, like, kind of stifling a laugh at how, like, harebrained this scheme is, but how, like, beautifully it's going to be pulled off. Um... So yeah, uh, Marlo basically knows that they're surveilling him and he just wants to like shake them off his tail a little bit by uh, concocting this whole like bizarre plan <laughs> and works out pretty brilliantly, I gotta say.
1: Yeah. I think that the real Marlo Daniels got caught or maybe it was his half-brother. Mm-hmm. Should have looked this back up. But I think one of them got arrested at a like a shop in Harlem, like in New York. So I was like, oh, Marl's going to go to New York. But then I realized I'm stupid and I'm in the simulation and he's just going to the Amtrak or the train station in Baltimore. Uh. So that was just a random lady, though, that he uh,
0: yeah, yeah, that yeah. He walked up to. Yeah. Who
1: happened to be skinny.
0: And had a bag. So yeah. He was just like trying to do the gentlemanly thing.
1: And she was like... Uh, a foreign like she had like a foreign accent almost yeah so she was just confused as hell
0: i mean could he have been like worried that maybe she was like would have like said like i don't know who this guy is he just came up to me and like yeah i mean gotten him into some legal trouble that way but he probably is you know he
1: knows that the police will assume guilt right right so they're not going to believe like that that kind of adds another layer of protection because he knows they won't believe anything she says and yeah. he'll just prove you know like you said
0: I mean, it's a brilliant plan and he's smiling as they're arresting him too like it's got to be like so uh i mean it must get under her skin so bad that like he's being played like a piano oh man yeah <laughs> <Damn. laughs> um but yeah, what Let's, else
1: is going on with the old
0: police? Uh, we got uh, another friend of the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jacob's buddy, yeah. Ed Norris, coming back to, uh, you know, rant and rave a little bit to Kima about what they should do to... <laughs> yeah, he just <laughs> stirred it up. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, it kind of inspired me to go back and read some more articles about old Norris, you know wondering if I'm too hard on him, and what if, you know, I'm saying inconsistent things about him, and like, do my timelines add up, you know? Am I going to get us in trouble one day, Willie? Because we know his might in the radio world. Right, right. It's it's real. So I know I was making fun of him recently for uh, maybe being on probation, or like, or being on probation and having to fulfill <laughs> community service duties during a certain time of day. And I I don't know if that exactly would have added up with the filming, but yeah, you know, it was probably pretty close. He also had to do a six month stand of house arrest out in Tampa, so mm-hmm. must have been difficult. Right. He's just a simple guy. He likes to golf and maybe have a scotch, you know, yeah, he good whiskey.
0: Doesn't vote. Yeah, he doesn't vote
1: by choice, of course. (laughs) He has nothing in common with Cuddy, Dennis. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this is kind of soul-searching, but, like, maybe, you know, I should just lighten up on the guy. Like, he wants to move on, but I think it just really opened my eyes more to what a slumlord he is, (laughs) and I I should double down. (laughs) He's like, I don't regret anything I did, you know, and then there's, like, a son writers. I don't know if, if he's like a, the op-ed guy or who he was. This guy, I think his name was Kane, Gregory Kane, I think. Damn it. Yeah. But he's like, why were like the feds all up in Norris's, you know, like case. I mean, it was like a state crime and he didn't spend any taxpayer dollars with that department slush fund. That's from the, you know, time of the depression, you know, like, just leave him alone. I'm like this is crazy.
0: <laughs> so what? It but what is this like scheme he's like cooking up with uh, Kima to like hurt the the candidate's yeah, like electoral the, chances?
1: I guess since he can't vote, he doesn't give a shit like about the white boy or Royce or whoever. He just wants to stick it to the man or whatever. They're looking to turn the jailhouse snitch, you know, to give a statement just before the primary which would you know prove or not like prove or disprove the angle of the witness so Rawls is pretty adamant on shutting that down
0: you know this uh show is very uh particular in detailing of the chain of command so in the last episode we kind of had Landsman giving Kima a hard time but then you know Rawls comes down to the floor that homicide is on and Damn. uh what is Holly's partner says he has to unclench his asshole and uh Damn. gives <laughs> makes uh Jay Landsman show the you know he gives Jay Landsman the rare sweat and like the dressing down he gives him on a how he's mishandling the whole Braddock case and paints the picture, like paints the pretty like depressing, horrible picture of how like the police department is pretty much like deemed ineffective in the week running up to an election. Like they, whatever they do will seem politically motivated and it could piss either Roy Sark or off, so landsman seems pretty he's pretty uh emasculated at this point with rawls uh reading his porno magazine rawls ripping the porno magazine away from his desk and lecturing him about uh i don't know <laughs> yeah. how to save face like it, it all seems pretty preposterous that like they're even considering the political blowback from something that should just be played straight and true yeah Well, small
1: margin of error here, right? (laughs) Can't be messing around, messing about. Yeah. So he details the two to uniform duty, which... (laughs) For uh, election? Yeah. Got to keep the polls safe, you know what I mean?
0: So anyway, the whole uh, plan that Marlo and Chris uh, set in motion to frame Omar seems to be working pretty well. Uh, The real Jay Landsman portraying Lieutenant Dennis Mello... Uh, brings up at like you know a staff meeting that there's a warrant out for this guy's arrest Staff, (laughs) i don't know uh what do you what 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 what, what?
1: i mean a staff meeting is what i would imagine like oh like we're gonna be having a restaurant like like let's you know not give these cops too much credit like they still are the ones like out there busting heads right okay it's like a briefing briefing that's more like sinister in my mind like something like there's a Pentagon briefly like <laughs> you know.
0: I see. There we go. Thanks for that course correction there, but but anyway, um so Mello makes the announcement that there's a warrant out for this guy's arrest, homicide, he maybe killed a taxpayer lady and the whole like he asks the room, like, does anybody know about this guy? And the whole room erupts in vicious uh banter. Uh, like based off of like you know all their past experiences with their run-ins with omar and as caliccio puts it you know he's it's about fucking time somebody like caught that guy or whatever to that effect um and i don't want to jump like too ahead here but this huh do it this you know this time around where i'm like watching the show with a closer eye and like taking note of all these parallels but like the reaction that the cops give to when they find out you know omar has a warrant out for him for homicide is strikingly similar to the scene where omar is being walked through city jail and everybody surrounding him like can't wait to like get their hands on him and like beat the shit out of him probably kill him because the like you know inside a police station And inside a jail, like, full of, you know, drug dealers and whatnot that he's, like, robbed or stolen from over the years, those are the two places he's not welcome. And those are the two places where (laughs) they'll be populated with many people who are endlessly, like, cursing his name and swearing revenge and waiting for the chance to get (laughs) get their hands on him. So, yeah. I don't
1: know. I mean, what do you think about the cop's reaction and then you know, the way that he's arrested. I mean, obviously, Walker's, you know, an outlier right. or not in Simon's eyes. That's one thing I I failed to bring up in our discussion, especially from episode two about, you know, Simon's take on the whole policing and uh angle as far as, you know, black cops being worse. And it's like, so, I mean, why do the police, like, he's never you know, necessarily seem to be an issue for the cops. Like he even helped them break some major cases and McNulty's kind of like confused. Like he should yep. be, but I mean, he's not cop killer. He's not someone that, you know, you hear about cops like, oh, you know if anyone runs that's like you get beat up you know you get a rough ride if you talk back or this or that but he's like hey man you know it's all in the game right there's rules there's a code
0: yeah but that's Ben nolte he's like always (laughs) one to think outside of the box and like examine like the larger issues and like the war on drugs and stuff like a lot of these cops like i just assume when they hear omar's name they see red and They think any kind of lawlessness is, like, inappropriate. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so... Um, Omar recognizes when he's at a liquor store that officer Walker is like standing right outside. Like, I mean, well, he doesn't
1: know it's Walker, right? Yeah. you think yeah. he knows he's like, Oh, that's H seven, nine. That's Walker's squad
0: car. Yeah. I mean, he <laughs> does recognize him when he comes face to face with him, which is like pretty telling of oh yeah, like how toxic of a presence he's had, like on the streets, uh, Walker here. Um, but yeah, Walker roughs him up a little bit and continues the journey of this ring from person to person when he steals it off of Omar. I think Michael is the next person to Mm. get it. Uh, he takes it off of him in a later episode, but, um, yeah, so Omar gets the, he gets beaten up, um. They bring a wagon for him to get taken out, but uh McNulty recognizes like his humanity and meets him where he is in this moment and like is confused himself that he's being like caught up in this whole debacle with him getting accused of killing a taxpayer, which McNulty like is almost certain is not true. And he helps him like a Democrat or whatever mm-hmm. it that means, the Sant'Angelo. <laughs> tell San- him
1: <them>. mag tangelo <laughs> no but is it, it does he mention that because it's primary day and <laughs> santangelo's obviously more tapped into local politics than you or i ever will be and he knows that you know this is oh are you like you're behaving like a democrat or something or are you going to go vote for one of these dems that's running our city
0: but it's already been established that bignolte doesn't vote <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> from the <so>. last
1: season <laughs> Maybe Santangelo knows that and just wants to pull his leg, but he arrives in, you know, good enough well, he to still, defend himself.
0: He's still like got a little bit of a nosebleed or something from that like wall slam and floor like drop that Walker does on him.
1: Yeah. I just, if I were, it's terrible, you know, Walker is bad. Yeah. Definitely. But if I were Omar's, Defense team I would want to bring up why someone we assume is a Western District cop because they got the info right from the Western District precinct is all the way out in Broadway East on Federal and Rutland at the B and J liquors arresting Marlow on the east side. I mean arresting Omar on the east side. <laughs> seems a little bit odd that all these people from the Western are just cruising around outside of their district yeah. Ah, film locations. I get it. Anything else you want to talk about? I mean, Norris does say life is about timing.
0: Yeah, is that a little... Does that hit a little close to home for him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Norris. Yeah. He's
1: a, It's... I don't know, I man. He's a really popular guy. I mean, obviously, you know, you mm. can pull up any articles about someone, you know, taking him out from the sun for an interview and he's like hey i'm broke but let's go to this really expensive italian spot and uh it's like he gets free meals you know because he lowered the murder rate and that was a huge thing he was the only commissioner i guess uh you know in a short time that was able to do that so i don't
0: know ongoing uh it's more nuanced ongoing uh, issue this is going to be for you I'm just going to make a... Well, it's
1: just, you know, frustrating because I know probably they're going to run Brandon Scott out of town because, like, the murder rate, murder rate, you know, the new mayor. But it's like, you know, there's so many moving parts. Right. But he gets the credit, Norris, if the murder rate goes down, it's like all him.
0: I mean, he's the police commissioner.
1: (laughs) Clear those corners. (laughs)
0: Um, so, if we wanna transition into talking a bit about the boys now, um boys of school, yeah, the boys of school, uh, we got uh Delanda continuing her worst mother ever streak with uh, <laughs> her forcing or no, no, well, I guess Brianna requests yeah. that they come to her house so she could uh, give them the news that. There's no more money coming in from the Barksdale organization and that they're being cut off. And uh, we haven't seen any Barksdales for a while now. That was primarily a season one through three thing. And we've had some time away from Brianna to uh, maybe and now we kind of like get a glimpse into how she's like. Continuing to grieve about the whole debacle her family has been in, and she seems like she couldn't care less about what happens to Avon and like what opinions he has on uh, the situation going on with Weebe and his family.
1: So, I was going to say or make a bad joke about, oh, this is the all star, you know, worst parenting uh, mm-hmm. conference or worst parents, you yeah. know, all star team. Brianna doesn't have any kids. Does she have other kids or we wouldn't know, right? So Is
0: D'Angelo, D'Angelo must be an only child, right?
1: So that's even worse. So she's not even a parent possibly. I mean, (laughs) I mean, you know, once you're a parent, you're a parent, whether you lose your kid or.
0: Yeah. I mean, this show drops you into like the middle of like arguments or situations where it's like, oh. All of you are like so like wrong here. I don't feel comfortable taking anybody's side, but it is just like a matter of like realism that Brianna is bringing to the table. Like, yeah, our our organization is in shambles now. I can't give you any more money. I'm not being unfair. That's just the way it is. But Delanda is just like really over the top villain. Like, okay, well, I'm just gonna make my son drugs for us now and he's gonna bring home the money and he's gonna be the primary you know source of income
1: yeah brutal i don't really know i don't really know what to say
0: i Uh, mean even Bodhi, yeah Bodhi is like uh upset about the level of pressure that delanda's putting on naaman to get into the fold and you know move the package and whatnot yeah he's
1: learning more also about Naaman. Right.
0: But... And how he can't even sell the package that he gets and he just looks at it forlornly on his bed before he gets into his daily dose of much-needed violence from his video games.
1: Yeah, MNV. But let's talk about the the school situation. Let's see. Prez sets Dookie up. A kind gesture but he does it right in front of everyone i mean is that his only opportunity i guess before the first period of the day starts because right you know there could have been maybe a more discreet way to let dookie know that you know but at this point everyone knows what is going on and they make fun of dookie regardless right so walking up to him in front of his friends is not you know the biggest issue but anyways, you know, like a little redemptive uh, arc. Yeah. Yeah.
0: For, <laughs> for Prez. Uh, I mean, there's just like a little tiny interaction that Tiff has, the girl Tiffany. Yeah. And she uh, tries saying hello to them in the hallway while they're walking through with Naaman. They ignore her. She has kind of like a big blow up. And, um, it's kind of an example of how like tiny little things or interactions could have big consequences way down the line for these characters, because that then convinces her to go to the school principal or like whoever the authority is and tell her side of the story involves, you know, Randy being the lookout. So he gets involved. But just to, like, drive home the point that, like, in so many other people's eyes that this is just, like, a small little issue that wouldn't lead to, like, Randy's demise or what have you. Um, In the scene where Naaman gets called out of the class to go into the pilot program, he's, like, walking by and he sees, like, Tiffany in the middle of her confession to the school principal And he literally does, like, the kind of, like, he, like, shrugs it off. Like, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. Because he, you know, was just involved in that little situation and doesn't know that, like, him casually insulting her is more or less going to lead (laughs) to his friend getting sent back into the foster care's, the you know. Group home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Naaman's a jerk. I mean, he pretty much spreads the, you know, like, yeah, the insult, I don't, I mean, that's essentially what drives her to state her case. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, like, if she was, you know, who knows what happened in there. Uh, But I mean, you know, she's now, this is pre-social media and all that, but she's going to be known as, like, the slut of the school, you know, and that's, like, really damaging in its own right, so... Of course, she's going to have a reaction to kind of defend herself. But, uh, yeah, Naaman's a terrible friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Uh, we say this now, but he does, like, end up being one of the rare, like, uh, you know, bright, shining lights uh, in this series. Um, So, Randy gets kind of implicated in this whole mess, and... He's brought into the principal's office and uh, Tootsie Duvall, Mar- Principal Donnelly, brings a hammer down on him, lets him know that he could be suspended, expelled, maybe even face criminal charges. And in another like little moment of him like impulsively acting, he lets out that uh, he knows about a murder, which prompts her to put the phone down right before she's about to get into contact with his foster mother. And this, you know, sets off the whole chain of events of catastrophic consequences that'll lead to uh his uh foster mother's home getting uh you know blown up with Molotov cocktails. Wow.
1: okay. I didn't know it was
0: Molotov cocktails,
1: but <laughs> Sorry. Secure. Oh, you got some specific takes on the <laughs> violence he experienced. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Miss Donnelly's a real cop, man. Yeah. <laughs> can they, like, legally, administrators, you know, can administrators legally, you know, present that to a student who doesn't have a guardian there? I mean, it sounds like he's being interrogated at a police station, but it's his school office, so not much advocacy there. Yeah. But uh, for Randy, so I know it, it makes her school look really bad and if if this gets out and there's this, under a lot of pressure, I'm sure as administrators, plus they just took on like a rogue <laughs> program. So, yeah. which we'll talk about here, but yeah, Randy breaks the, it's the rule, the number one rule, which I guess in his mind, you know, isn't like the risk reward, I guess, you know, snitching, would potentially be better than like, anything's better than going back to a group home in his mind,
0: which, yeah, you know, it's like a terrible place. Yeah. And then he ends up getting the worst of both worlds because he does get punished for his snitching uh, crimes and also gets sent back to the group home. But in the middle of all this, uh principal Donnelly kind of confides in Prez that this is a situation. She assumes that, He's well equipped to handle this because of his police background, and he <laughs> yeah great guy. <laughs> he goes to Major Daniels to kind of confide in him and ask him what he should do about this, and we get some like glances from uh, Lance Reddick, <laughs> who plays Major Daniels, uh, with like the way he looks at Prez. It's almost like he's looking at an alien or like he's looking at someone he doesn't recognize because he knows this person. Is the same person who half blinded a kid in the first season and shot and accidentally killed Derek Wagoner. So, like, how can this person who's been careless or like <laughs> trigger happy, like in the past, how is this person concerned about the well being of his students? It's the wire, baby. Characters yeah. evolve and grow. And in that sense, like, on that same track, like Prez is, uh, kind of shocked to hear that Carver is, uh, Daniels recommendation for, for taking care of all this.
1: Yeah. Everyone's shocked at the way people are able to develop. (laughs) (laughs) So in the long run, maybe it's not, you know, Prez kind of did his due diligence with the chain of command, by the way, he's pretty brave to just walk into a, precinct yeah especially after what happened even if even if wagoner was from the eastern maybe because that's where he killed him
0: yeah could it like him walking in there could that have been like a similar situation to when omar was like walking through the jail and they're just like a bunch of people like raring to go
1: yeah maybe or maybe that wasn't his home precinct but you know it's like not the biggest department right especially well never mind but So, in reality, I mean, don't spoil it for me. You know, I'm watching this with soft eyes, new lens, whatever you want to call it. But I know Carver messes up, obviously. Yeah. But Perez, you know, told Daniels that's like the major. So, (laughs) hey, what can you do? It's crazy stuff, right? That's like. That's the hot takes our uh, supporters pay for, and what can you do? It's the wire, baby. There you That's go. my hot take, Willie. It's my precise analysis. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, any other thoughts on that, or
0: do you want to move on to the pilot program? Oh yeah, the pilot program. So, what do you?
1: You got some interesting stuff here about the uh, commentary and uh, surrounding the uh, statements of colvin and you know Naaman's really sharp and is uh pretty much uh, you know he knows what's going on where you know they're getting uh acclimated or reacclimated for gen pop like <laughs> giving the prison analogies right so what are your what's your uh you know insight i want to hear
0: um well it's not like my original insight but i'm just oh, kind yeah. of you know I'm just the messenger here. I didn't even like notice this the first time around watching this season. But again, with the parallels there, like the director stated that he was trying to draw sharp comparisons to when Colvin is gathering up the drug dealers the first time around to instruct them what the rules of Amsterdam are going to be like. And he said he was kind of trying to mirror that visually with this scene where he has all the corner kids in one scene or in one setting. And he's, you know, laying down the law of the land to them and letting them know of this um, kind of unique or uh, unorthodox program that they're going to be going through. So kind of just placing Bunny in the middle of two of these uh, unique situations to show that he's the guy for implementing uh, controversial techniques to get uh some desired outcomes out of you know, breaking away from archaic institutions or lines of thinking to get more desirable outcomes. So. Yeah. It's interesting
1: stuff. I'm and I'm sure parenti, right? I know every episode I'm like <laughs> he I'm sure he's really excited about Colvin utilizing that language, like, yeah, this is solitary Come on. <laughs> <laughs> for the uh for the mind or like for you know and then like breaks into some hip-hop like culturally conscious uh song about you know how they're gonna learn together and build and like inclusivity and all that good stuff
0: right that doesn't happen though. no, no. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh i mean we kind touched of on, touched on this last episode right and i don't know how it's gonna turn out so you know definitely the whole like Uh, segregation of them you know it is a bit odd but we'll see that it does in the long run help name and unfortunately this is the best option they feel uh, available right (laughs) given the state of the overall you know school district
0: yeah some of the like the caddy teachers in the lounge are like "Uh, not a moment too soon thank god we're getting this like they have no investment in the kids' well being, they're just like, can't wait to get rid of them so they can go on doing their job. But I mean, the part really, started. yeah, I can't put myself in the shoes of teachers who are having to deal with problems yeah. on that scale. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. I need soft eyes for uh, evaluating their situation,
1: yeah. You know, Willie, I don't know, it's just you know endorsement versus depiction that's it's kind of what i utilize for everything in life now there you go like i don't always have to uh you know take a strong stance on everything yeah we're just here for the uh entertainment value of this amazing
0: show um so (laughs) i think it's like pretty crazy that randy is still able to like keep his head up and like take on this job of like distributing political flyers with such zeal after like going through such a traumatic situation, but I think like the way his character is written and the way maestro, yeah, maestro, maestro Harrell, maestro Harrell yeah. uh, portrays him so beautifully is just like setting us up to get our like heartbroken even more that like, he's so adamant about getting this job finished of distributing these flyers and making a quick book. Even though maybe, like, the situation of what he was hired in, like, reads a little false to me, where <laughs> one of Carcetti's like, campaign aides was just like, oh, okay, you're hired. Come here. Yeah. The other kid ran away. Um, well, but, yeah, like, he puts, like, his other friends to shame who, like, skip out early on distributing all the flyers because they want to get food and... They're like chastising the guy who paid Randy up front and it's his fault for doing that in the first place. But Randy, uh, is showing like his true colors in this situation and that, you know, he's not just some guy who stands on lookout while two guys do whatever they do to a woman in the middle school bathroom. The death
1: of work, Willie, the (laughs) death of work. I mean, donut. Yeah. Canard duquan duquan who's like you know he's just like hey man like man, i'm about to get some food here at i'll get the, you uh,
0: a strawberry soda and like
1: <laughs> yeah at the honey takeout where uh they pull up which like i know randy's doing his best but if he was paid up front to work between the expressway and winchester fremont fulton the west side i don't know what they're doing over there on Federal and Barclay and Greenmount Mount West. But yeah. The guy's not going to be happy. I get it. It's just a film location. But yeah, I mean.
0: Uh, not to mention they're also in a stolen car.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. After this is after Carver comes by and it's like yelling at him in front of Miss Anna, basically like yeah. talking to her as if Randy's not sitting on the couch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's going to keep his nose clean or I'm going to straighten it out for him or yeah. I'll make it crooked and then I'll straighten it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah so he's being threatened basically, or yeah. you know talked like scared straight almost, or just yeah, you know given- given the the rundown by Carver, but anyways, I mean, this whole political thing that's something I want to talk about this is yearly similar show shades of you know the old like politic political machine you know machine politics and patronage politics in Baltimore back in the day because. Uh, this is pretty much what the area bosses would do. I mean, it you know, on the white side of politics and black side. So I mean, like some Democratic bosses like Isaac Freeman Raisin, you know, were in charge of the you know Dem political machine for so long, and then they and then other guys like uh, Jack Pollock came along in the West Side, and even though it was primarily you know a black district that he was in charge of no black, you know, politicians were able to break through in that time frame. And like the, I think you know, like early 20th century, um, whereas maybe they'd had more success like er- earlier on, you know, like after reconstruction, even though it was different in Baltimore, but anyways, you know, the whole like, Oh, you know, when the guy tells Randy, this is your walking around money, that's like a classic thing because <laughs> they, you know, they would hand it out, you know, to get out the vote, Like, And then that's what Clarence Stu Burns did on the east side where his uncle or his family were like poll chasers and their job was to get get the vote out, like to get black people to vote for the white politicians, basically. Mm. And everyone was pretty much, you know, a Republican as far as, you know, the black voters were concerned, but the Democrats paid more to be a poll chaser for them. So he was like, I'll just work for the Democrats. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, pretty wild thanks for that the, randy's involved now with thanks the slum lords <laughs> thanks nah. for that insight
0: <laughs> historical context enriches the yeah. content i mean
1: you know it's just you know a little one phrase drop but you know randy's a good guy you know, right he's doing doing a good thing there yeah. um but yeah man canards like canards so funny (laughs) he's crazy man yeah (laughs) what do you mean paid you up front let's get the hell out of here um so yeah i mean this is this is crazy stuff man
0: And then, like, right outside of the uh, voting location is Spider. Yeah. And Cuddy runs into uh, Randy and Spider on his little run, and he's totally confused as to why Spider yeah. is avoiding him and uh, wants Randy to get in touch with him because he's one of his best welterweights. Big um, kid. Yeah. Um.
1: So, I mean, basically, Randy can thank Cuddy for getting him paid because he's out here. I mean, just as you are here for the wire, for the women and the fast life, you know, (laughs) Cuddy's kind of living there.
0: (laughs) Hey, all the pieces matter.
1: I just want to give a quick correction because I know I think recently I said maybe, oh, yeah, like Cuddy has a woman over while the debate's going on. And he's watching football, but in reality, that probably wasn't, is it rude to assume he still lives in grandma's basement? I don't know. Because I imagine that Cuddy was actually like at a woman's house. Right. Just yeah. as we, we we see Cuddy's with uh, you know a woman that's not Spider's mom when he leaves to go out for his jog. So he's just like, he's got his roster yeah. going. Yeah, he's getting it in. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah i mean cuddy getting a little dennis getting a little weird with the whole uh mike thing and while he's shadowboxing yeah getting
0: a little like well i like i i feel like the first time i watched this i was totally like wait why is he like being so corny and obvious around michael like talking about how he loves ladies but this has to do with like him like overcompensating that like, maybe like Michael had thought he was a pederast. And now he's like trying to be like, Oh, "Oh, I love pederast. Isn't that, that's the, or a pedophile. But, uh, like,
1: I mean, he's a lot of like, like advanced terminology in (laughs) films. I don't, I'm like,
0: sure. a Pederast. but, but, (laughs) But yeah. So he's like trying to reassure Michael, like, yeah, I love having sex with grown women. Yeah. That's my thing. <laughs> but, but then it's like Michael's like actually like I'm kind of upset at you now because you scared Spider-Off because you had a one-night stand with his mom and You had a yeah. one-night stand? Or maybe like maybe he <laughs> let her on or something but <laughs> he well like it's like in imp, like imp, implicated that uh he broke Spider's his mom's heart or something or like isn't he implying that the woman he's like showing how to box and stuff?
1: By the way, I thought Cuddy's Dennis is all old-fashioned and don't train women. Yeah. When, but hey, they're I, in there. So I mean, he goes
0: training them, all right.
1: <laughs> I mean, Mike goes, you know, asks Spider's mom and makes like a head uh, yeah, a head yeah. motion over to a woman who i mean is he implying that spider's mom or is he trying to say like hey look you're with all these women so why don't you go talk to spider's mom Mm -hmm. who could be another woman maybe the woman who's you know house he was staying at good um and maybe wasn't coming back but i don't know i mean i there's no definitive proof in my opinion of who spider's mom is but you know
0: but you're right you're right like that I could have misread that. And that could be spider's mom that he's showing how to do the jab cross. Um, and <laughs> I,
1: like I'm, I wasn't sure on that, but I know the like exact, uh, <laughs> like combination that <laughs> he's throwing out combos. All right. Oh man.
0: Um, yeah. So well, Michael, know. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, no, no. Sorry.
0: Michael, uh, is the person to let Dennis know that uh, people in the gym are kind of upset with him because he's uh you know, he's the real FB.
1: <laughs> he's FB Cuddy.
0: FB. I mean, I just made oh, this fuck joke. Boy. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Mike, Michael is upset that he's being a fuck boy <laughs> with the kids' moms. Oh, but while we're you know while we're in the location of Cuddy's gym, can we talk about? that crash and burn like how sorry Naaman's little like elevator pitch to Michael is like, like, and how Michael doesn't even try to like hide his disdain for the idea of even being associated with Naaman I mean like he looks at him with such like like he looks at him like almost in like disbelief or disgust that he's even being approached for this opportunity. Like when he has like Marlowe already like making offers to him and it's like to like line up with Naaman, like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like that look he gives him is so, like, it's a proving my point. Like if like a kid stared at me like that, I would be ruined. If
1: you, if you got shut down by Mike, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, you wanna go on this package? And he's like, no, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been the best thing for Naaman, but he's got obviously like you said, he's already been approached by the you know CEO. Yeah. <laughs> he's like the mogul of the area. Why go on, on an off brand independent yeah. package? I mean, so, is this
0: in a way like Naaman asking him to like get in on with get in on this with him? <laughs> like, but, like an indirect uh cut? Co- contribution to Michael's like rough path because it's like, oh like I have like actual people who are interested in my talents, not this off brand shit. So so I don't know.
1: But uh, yeah, I mean, but wouldn't it even if Michael were to work with Naaman, wouldn't he still like he's not aside from just like the shame factor, like, oh well, I'm not taking a step back after taking this like advance from Chris and Snoop and all that but he technically kind of still be working for Marlo because Bodie's getting his package uh, from yeah. Marlow now. So it wouldn't be necessarily like going against his new boss to be, but right. it's almost like, why would I do that? I'm yeah. getting into like the,
0: you know, the I'm soldier, already, yeah, soldiering. I'm already, I'm already kind of like big league and I don't want to fuck, yeah. fuck around with some off-brand.
1: So I guess killing, you know, makes a lot more money at that stage then selling vials right. which is much more risky right. but you're still not killing people anyways yeah. <laughs> michael's going to turn to a killer
0: yeah. um is there anything else we can talk about nah, did I we... Think we we got that
1: yeah we got, we got it got that man
0: yeah um we're within first... our margin of error yeah. yeah first donnie appearance there we go yeah we're just wrapping up in
1: time. <laughs> Donnie goes to the rescue, or, or not, you know, Omar can stand on his own too, but he hooks him up with a really advanced-looking prison shank. Right. <laughs> it's like some Excalibur-types.
0: Donnie Andrews serves as part of the real-life inspiration for the makeup of Omar's character.
1: Yeah, so...
0: Um,
1: All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us again. Uh, again, you can always uh, provide us with some support. Anchor.fm/slash The Gods Will Not Save You/slash Support. We would always appreciate it, and we appreciate those who are currently supporting our uh, our adventure here through
0: through the Wire Universe. Right. And uh, if you wanna reach out to us. We're always on the social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the gods will not save you.
1: Also feel free to shoot us an email, the gods will not save you at gmail.com. We'd like to hear from you and, you know, we'll be happy to answer any questions, comments, uh, you know, concerns.
0: Yeah. Just like, if you're going to ask us a question, uh, try to make it about different religious denominations or guns, yeah. cars, where, you know we're hungry for that type of stuff also shout out to most art who did our intro and outro music and the, some of the bumpers uh check out his incredible catalog of work at mostart.com right on yeah also much uh much love
1: to andre testness who hooked us up with our really nice official emblem
0: so you know great designer appreciate it man right on all right thanks everybody